0: Good evening and welcome to the mobile food edition of I'm the Triangle. I am your host, Chris Chaffee. This week we have a great show for you. Mark Herring, our correspondent, has prepared one of the best stories we've ever had about taco trucks. And I tackled the policy of food trucks in Raleigh. Then later we'll have a segment with Kyle Jones about uh, multivitamins. We will also have weather, sports, sound bites, video game news, an interview with Jeff Murchison from the Hillsborough Street Business Alliance. And finally, the Entomology Club will stop by to tell us about their club. And they brought a special guest. So stay tuned here on 88.1 WKNC. Uh, for more, an eye on the triangle, but first the news.
1: Violent riots have broken out across Libya as the population demands that Muammar Gaddafi remove himself from office where he has been in power for over 41 years. Several sources, such as Al Jazeera and Reuters, report that scores of Libyans have been killed in the protests where security forces have opened fire on peaceful protesters in crowded streets and plazas. It has become difficult to document human rights violations in Libya where limited media coverage makes it difficult to account for everything that's going on. The United States, as well as France, Germany, and the European Union have called for the violence to stop and remark that the images coming out of Libya are deeply disturbing. Since riots began on Tuesday, the death toll in Libya's second largest city, Benghazi, has risen above 200, causing the press to liken it to a war zone. British Prime Minister David Cameron held talks in Cairo to discuss the military-to-civilian transition of power and to promote what he calls a genuine transition to democracy. Notable about this visit was Cameron's avoidance of the Muslim Brotherhood, Egypt's largest political group that wants democracy founded on Islamic principles. Officials say that this was a move on Cameron's part to make a statement that Islamic-backed groups are not the only alternative to Mubarak, citing that this was not an Islamic revolution, but rather a revolution of normal people, asking for basic freedoms taken for granted in places like the United States and the United Kingdom. U.S. courts sentenced Somali pirate Abduwali Abdukar Muse to nearly 34 years in prison. The court cited the need for such a steep sentence as it will serve as a deterrent to pirates and help quell similar actions off the African coast and around the world. In the past 12 months, there have been 826 piracy-related incidents off the coast of Somalia, and recently two oil tankers have been taken by pirates. One, the Greek supertanker Irene SL, carrying 266,000 tons of crude oil and a 25-man crew, was seized last week near the coast of Oman. Authorities have since lost contact with the ship. Protests have reached a flashpoint in Wisconsin, as thousands rally over a bid to roll back pay and union rights of government staff, including teachers. The proposal would limit collective bargaining to the issue of wage and cap increases to the rate of inflation, with a voter referendum needed for bigger increases. It would also end government collection of union dues, allowing workers to opt out of unions and require unions to hold re-certification votes every year. Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker says the alternative is to lay off more than 10,000 public employees in an effort to make ends meet. Protests continue in Yemen as demonstrators call for the resignation of President Ali Abdullah Saleh, who has held power in Yemen for 32 years. As gunshots from both sides of the demonstrators rang out in the streets, President Saleh has called for opposition parties to pursue a dialogue with the government to attain peace. On a lighter note, the largest daily newspaper in Washington state, the Seattle Times, is endorsing House Bill 1550, a bill that will legalize cannabis sales and set up sales through liquor stores. This would prove to be a massive hit to opponents of this bill, where those in favor of House Bill 1550 are probably looking forward to clearing the smoke on this issue and ripping down the status quo. And lastly, in the wake of the revolution in Tunisia, the question of the role of Islam in politics is taking center stage. Thousands of protesters marched through the streets of Tunis, holding up banners saying, Politics ruins religion, and religion ruins politics, in an attempt to keep conservative forces from taking away Tunisia's strict tradition of secularism. While Islamic factions in Tunisia, allied with Egypt's Muslim Brotherhood, promised that they do not wish to impose Islamic law, some Tunisians are unconvinced. When asked about keeping Islamic interests from taking hold, a protester was quoted as saying, The best defense is to attack, which they are doing in force in the streets of Tunis and all across Tunisia. With Eye on the Triangle News, I'm Matt Gardner.
0: Thanks, Matt. And we're moving right along to community calendar now. Tyler Vranin could not be here today. A family emergency, but I will do my best. This Wednesday, the 2011 Statewide Poetry Contest will be taking place. It's open to all North Carolina residents, and it is one of the largest free entry contests in the South. Awards will be given to the top poems, with the top winner receiving $500. Entries must be submitted by March 1st, and the winners will be announced on the 30th at the 7 p.m. in the Titmus Theater at Thompson Hall, here at NC State. Go to the NCSU English website for more information. This Saturday, February 26th, the NC State Polar Plunge in 5K will take place on Centennial Campus and Lake Raleigh. The event is from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. The Polar Plunge is a unique opportunity for individuals, organizations, and businesses to support Special Olympics North Carolina athletes by taking an icy dip in the frigid waters of Lake Raleigh. This event is open to the public, and all spectators are welcome. So invite your friends to come watch you plunge and then encourage them on to get involved. Also on Saturday, the Howl for Hunger food drive will take place at the NC State vs. Versus, versus Georgia Tech basketball game. The food drive will be from 2 to 5 p.m. On Sunday, February 27th, is the Soul Garden Workday from twelve AM or from twelve PM to three PM? Don't show up at midnight on Saturday, no one will be there. And also Lake Raleigh is closed. The Soul Garden is behind Lake Raleigh, and there will be two large projects taking place at the time, a bamboo fence, and we will be building a toolbox. Concerts this week include Neil Hamburger, JP Inc., AV Geeks at the Kings Barcade downtown, The matted-down comb-over, the oversized glasses, the rumpled tuxedo, the phlegmy coughs, the absurdly nasal voice, the way he clings to his drinking glass, the slower-than-slow joke delivery, the tasteless, dirty joke-book punchlines, everything about America's funny man, Neil Hamburger, as portrayed by Greg Turkington, is meant to be off-putting or antagonistic. But with Hamburger, the jokes are almost besides the point. It's Turkington's relentlessly awkward performance as Hamburger that's the true draw. While trying to be the most unintentionally funny comedian imaginable... Hamburger inspires sincere laughter. The show begins at 9 p.m. This week, the museum of the NC Museum of History there will be an exhibit on Jewish immigration and acculturation in the state of North Carolina. Included are recreated environments of Jewish life in, during different time periods. Now we have uh, Mark Herring here from the uh, from the NC Meteorological department here at eye on the triangle to bring us some of the meteorological news brought to you by weather.com
2: all right so tonight the temperature is going to get down to 32 degrees so it's just going to get freezing tomorrow there's going to be a high of 54 and a low of 33 and will be it will be partly cloudy now thursday there are going to be rains some rain showers in the afternoon but that high is going to get to 61 so it's going to stay a little warm However, on Friday, it's going to get up to 70 degrees, which is really nice. However, there's going to be a 70% uh, thunderstorm prediction. So we're going to have thunderstorms. It doesn't sound too delightful. Saturday will be partly cloudy, 60 degrees. Sunday, mostly cloudy, 68 degrees. And then Monday, it's going to be raining. It's pretty certain, uh, 62 degrees. So it's not going to be as nice as last week, but... Not, not too much to complain about.
0: Fantastic. Thanks, Mark, so much from the uh, NC State uh, Public Affairs Department here at weather.com slash news. And now it's on to sports. Joined here in close production with my good friend Taylor Barber. Taylor? How you doing today? Doing good. Uh, doing better than the basketball team, huh?
3: Yeah. It, uh, well, I mean, the team was doing well going in to uh, Sunday night's matchup against Maryland up in College Park. The team had put together a little win streak. Granted, it was against Clemson and Wake Forest, not two of the best teams in the ACC, both of them at home. So they uh, tried to go get that elusive road win, which they still haven't got outside of the Wake Forest game. Um and they just couldn't couldn't do it. They uh, had the lead for a long time in the game, and just kind of as Scott Wood kind of summed it the best in the post game. Just they they folded in the last five minutes of the game. They had a solid lead going into the last few minutes of the game, and just completely folded, ended up losing by about six points. And. Um, Just really, just a tough one to take because they really had the game in hand, played well for the longest stretch. I mean, didn't show any defense whatsoever. It was just back and forth game, but it's just a tough one to lose because, I mean, they had it there. They had the opportunity to win, and uh, they blew it.
0: So why do you think we constantly give up right at the end and lose? Because, you know, I think we all have heard the jokes about the, the packs always choking and stuff like that, and it's very true. Why is that?
3: Well, I mean, I think some of it is just the inexperience. I mean, you guys got to realize that we're relying on three freshmen as our out as our main playmakers outside of Tracy Smith. I mean CJ Leslie, freshman, Ryan Harrow, freshman, Lorenzo Brown, freshman. Yes, they do play not like freshmen sometimes and play show those flashes of brilliance and everything, but then they show themselves as freshmen playing in one of the best basketball conferences in the league in the A C C. So I think that's one of the biggest problems. They I think offensively our biggest problem when we go on droughts is we just get very impatient. Um we don't run the shot clock. We try to work the inside out game. That's the main thing. Work it to your bigs, let them back down, either take the shot or kick it back out to someone like Scott Wood, who's shooting over 50% and still can't even manage to get 10 shots in a game, which just baffles me why he's not shooting more. But I mean, but sometimes uh, last game, last night, or I guess Monday night rather, or Sunday night rather, Ugh. but uh, he, uh, the problem was that. We couldn't get it out when we passed it into Tracy Smith, C.J. Leslie. I mean, they were going and t- forcing shots up in double, triple teams instead of kicking it back out. It was just like a black hole in the offense where once the ball went down low, it wasn't coming back out no matter how hard and contested the shot was. So I think if they just be more patient, try to work, drive some, I mean, they'll have a little better luck. And, I mean, it's not like they have much time left to do it, but we'll see how they do.
0: Now, I know the defense, We uh, you talked about how the fact that they were not doing anything. Uh, we were just going back and forth and really uh, losing a lot of points on defense to the opposition. Um, how can we, as a team, kind of reorganize on that front?
3: Well, on the defensive front, this is the biggest knock I have on Coach Lowe. I think defense is something that you have to te It's not, I mean... People know how to defend someone. You're going to be a good defender or a bad defender, yes, but you can make players into good. They can work well in a system, and we just don't have one. I mean, if you've ever watched a game and watched uh, the state go into a 2-3 zone, it's just horrendous. It's the worst, and that's where it comes to coaching. comes to X's and O's, finding something that works. You saw last night Gary – or on Sunday night, Gary Williams out coached Sydney Lowe, I mean, he, running a three-two zone, just all different stuff. Running a, a uh, full court press, just things that you don't see. When we try to run something different, it's sloppy, and it's just that it's low. It's low not being that good of a defensive coach. He's not a college coach. He's an offensive coach, and it's just something that he's never been able to do. And it's going to be eventually his Achilles' heel, and it's going to be one re- one of the main reasons why he won't be back next year.
0: Right. So on that note, let's uh, let's switch sports
3: to something that's got a little more promise this year: uh, baseball. Yeah, baseball kicked off this past weekend. They played against Elon in an unusual kind of series. Uh, first game they played at, uh, Dale Park at Doak Field. Uh, next game at Elon and the rubber match back in Raleigh. However, it didn't go as well after the first game on Friday, uh, as the Pack lost the second two games, uh, to lo- end up losing the series. But, uh, it was some promising things. Obviously, Corey Mazzoni is the Pack's ace this year. Pitched like it on Friday. Limited, uh, Elon to, I think, just three runs. Pitched very well. The problem is going to be who's going to be that two and three starters. Uh, Danny Healy pitched on Sunday. Ended up playing very well. Um, pitched very well and gave up two runs. The Pack ended up losing 4-2 in the ninth inning on a uh, error by the pitcher, ended up giving a two-out rally for the uh, Phoenix to uh, clinch the rubber match, but still a solid game. Some of the, the Pack scored, I think, 12 runs in the first game, but after that only scored four total in the next two, so uh, something maybe to be a little worried about in terms of how the hitting is, but I wouldn't kind of put too much stake into it usually early in the season the pitchers are always very far ahead of the batters takes the batters a lot more longer just to get used get their timing back and everything so i wouldn't put too much stake like i said in that and uh hopefully they'll bounce back they got penn state this weekend so uh or not penn state this weekend actually that's next week and this weekend they're heading down to uh their annual baseball at the beach where they'll take on some really good competition down in myrtle beach um and will be a really good test to see how well this team is going to uh, play this year and just uh, the talent that they have.
0: So let's talk about um, baseball this season. Um, how do you think they're going to do? Let's get some previews as to like how we're going to be in the conference and how we're going to be overall in the NCAA. I know. Last year was a big year for the ACC and the NCAA tournament.
3: Yeah, it is a uh, ACC like oh like a lot of the sports maybe outside of football is very good. They're a very tough t- tough conference to play. And I know last year Virginia was number one for a while. UNC was always up there. Florida State was a great team. I mean, it's just it's a tough conference to play. Every everywhere you look, it's going to be a tough matchup, and it's really going to see. I don't know as much on the other teams. I know State returns a good amount of players. The biggest thing is going to be replacing their top three hitters from last year, in um, Dallas Polk, Drew Polk, and Kyle Wilson, all three of those were integral parts of the offense. Uh, they accounted for the three highest batting averages on the team, just monster numbers in terms of Kyle and Dallas really setting the table at the 1-2 spots, Drew Polk driving them in, so there's definitely going to be some... Uh, need for some of the other players to step up but i think that's easily going to be done you have andrew Simpson returning who led the team in rbis last year pratt maynard's just a phenomenal hitter the biggest trick for him is just finding a place where he can play he's kind of a catcher kind of dh more is just getting pratt on the field and getting his at bats because he's probably the best legit pro prospect that we have on this team i wouldn't doubt that uh maynard will go early in the baseball draft whenever he does decide to enter himself into the draft and um the biggest thing, the biggest question is just going to be how that pitching is. Like I said, we have Corey Mazzoni there. He's going to pitch. He's going to get his wins. It's who's going to be able to take that Saturday and Sunday spot. And it's going to be who's coming out of, the pen, who, who's going to be out of the pen and closing the games. I mean, this team has a lot of good, young, live arms. It's just going to be the question is they can really perform out in the field. And uh, I really think they'll go as far as the pitching can take them. Fantastic, Taylor. Well, thanks so much for coming in. No problem. See you guys next week. And thanks again, Taylor.
0: You're listening to On the Triangle here on WKNC. The time is about 7.17. But unfortunately, it is time to take a break. However, when we come back, we will have a two-part story on food trucks. Kyle Jones will be giving some insight on multivitamins. We will have the video game current events segment and much, much more. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back.
4: Hello, this is Geet Bazar. May I help you? Ah!
2: want to request for
5: an old song, Ji. My husband is also on the other line, Ji. No, 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 no. This is a new song I'm no, requesting. No, no, old old old, old, old. old, Stop, old, stop, old. stop, stop. we will play both new and old every Sunday 10 to 12 noon.
6: Honey, now you do the dishes
4: and I will listen to Geet Bazaar. I hate Geet
1: Bazaar. Hate Geet Bazaar. Hate
4: <coughs> <laughs> programming on 88.1 WKNC is supported by Tiernanog Irish Pub in Raleigh. Each Thursday, Tiernanog and WKNC present Local Beer, Local Band Night. This Thursday, February 24th, features music from River City Ransom, Ion Dynamite, and Rocket Surgeon. Tiernanog also has local beer on tap. More information can be found at tnnirishpub.com or wknc.org slash lblb. WKNC would like to thank Tiernanog for their continued support
7: what if you served and sacrificed for your country but couldn't get the specialized care, military benefits, and career opportunities you needed? Chris Sullivan was shot and paralyzed in Iraq and now needs our help to get back into life. Paralyzed Veterans of America is on a mission, Mission Able, to help our seriously wounded veterans get the care, benefits, and jobs they've earned. Join the mission now for America's paralyzed veterans at mission-able.com.
8: The revolution.
2: Of the many food trucks in the triangle, the majority are taco trucks. These little taquerias serve the large Hispanic population, most of which is Mexican, as well as offer special dishes from other Latino countries, especially Guatemala and El Salvador. Chapel Hill and Carborough are well known in the area for taco trucks. But throughout Cary, there are various camionetas, or trucks, that serve Latino enclaves. On 430 Buck Jones Road in Cary, Lily's Taqueria stands in the parking lot of Little Sioux Mini Martin gas station. We first talked to Herbert, a Salvadorian cook.
3: The majority of
1: our customers are Mexican, about 90%. We have to look for ways to make money because the economic crisis has affected us all. Due to that, this stand doesn't close until 2 in the morning. This is the stand that has opened the latest.
2: Lily's Taqueria sells a variety of authentic tacos and burritos, as well as some unique dishes to El Salvador, including pupusas, which are stuffed corn cakes. Lily, the owner of the stand, explained that her business plan is to follow the customer
4: we work from a truck because from a restaurant we wouldn't get much business we have to go find the people instead of have the people find us
8: in a restaurant
4: you have to pay more rent sure I have bills to pay with the truck so I have to go find my clients for more opportunities to sell instead of staying put in
8: one place. For now, we're only here Friday, Saturday, and Sunday because the construction is slow. But once
4: construction picks up, we go to the construction spots where our clients work. But we can't work in
8: Raleigh. It's difficult. We can't get permission to park in any space.
2: At the intersection of Maynard Road and Reed Street, Tacos y Hidargos set stand by a strip mall full of Latino supermercados and a salsa bar. Families from the largely Hispanic neighborhood wait, ready to order from the authentic menu, written exclusively in Spanish. The menu includes tacos of beef tongue, head cheese, spicy chorizo sausage, and roasted chicken. Inside the truck, two women, Andrea and Florealma, cook handmade tortillas, and the slew of tacos they serve every night. Andrea explained the cooking process, and it all begins with the tortillas. This staple in Mexico is solely comprised of corn flour and water, and the women here make them from scratch daily. The clientele is mainly Hispanic, and Tacos Estillos Hidalgos knows how to target its demographics being centrally located in the Latino community. I talked to customer Gabriel to see what he ordered.
8: I ordered some tacos of head cheese and beef tongue. They're really tasty.
9: These are my favorites. It's got a lot of flavor.
8: I ordered some onions with it, some lemonade, and my wine drink.
2: I come here almost every weekend. I frequent this one exclusively. Approaching a new food truck at first may require some audacity, but the vendors are willing to accommodate for particular palates and tastes. The generic steak and chicken tacos are guaranteed on the menu, but many of these taco joints, run and supported by Hispanics, bring with them more exotic taco fillings, such as buche, also known as pork stomach, tripe, beef tongue, head cheese, and pastor, which is like gyro
8: meat.
2: Due to strict regulation in Raleigh, Many of these taquerias will stay put just outside of city limits. But for foodies with exotic tastes or Mexican food enthusiasts, the trip is just long enough. From I on the Triangle, I am Mark Heron, and buen provecho.
0: it's not just taco trucks that roam the streets of the triangle trucks offer all sorts of food for instance mike Stenke of the clausie's pizza truck makes a detroit style pizza right out of the back of his truck here's
7: how he describes his product detroit style pizza is made in these square steel pans and they're all seasoned they're seasoned over time you never wash these pans you just keep re-seasoning them cooking your pizza, and then seasoning it. And my pans are 40-year-old pans. Without these pans, you can't make this pizza. Aluminum just doesn't cut it. So that's the pan itself. Then beyond that is the crust. The crust is this, it's like a Sicilian and that it's sort of thick. It's about three-quarters of an inch thick, but it's very airy. And uh, on the bottom of it is this golden crust, crunchy, greasy, golden crust. And then on top of it is not the sauce, but the cheese. And the cheese is a brick cheese. It's called brick. B-R-I-C-K. Brick cheese is out of Wisconsin. A rare type of cheese for anywhere except Wisconsin or Michigan or Illinois. It's buttery, it's creamy, it melts exceptionally well. It browns nicely, because you put the cheese all the way out to the edge of the pan on a on a Detroit style pizza and it crunches up and it browns, it crunches up. So you bite into the edge of the crust. And you're biting a cheese crust. You're not biting dough. Then the third part about a Detroit-style pizza is the sauce. The sauce in Detroit isn't a a watered-down, bland tomato whitewash. No, no, no. A Detroit-style pizza has a zesty, zingy sauce to it. It's it's coarse-ground tomatoes. A lot of flavor. It's got some white pepper that can see in the back of the throat. That's what makes a Detroit-style pizza. It was made by a Pole and a Belgian for an Italian that couldn't cook back in the 30s for for the workers in Detroit. It's a working man's pizza. However,
0: unlike hot dog and ice cream carts, which have an extensive handbook of rules and regulations, food trucks don't have the same sort of rules. In fact, a rally ordinance Prohibits food trucks from operating within the city limits. A food truck operator can apply for an event permit, but it costs sixty dollars and is only valid for twenty days or four consecutive weekends. So, when Stanky applied for a business
7: permit and passed his health inspection, he was still unable to sell his pizza. Even before I went out, I had to get my business license because you got to get a health permit, then you have to get your business license, and then you can start selling. Or at least that's what I thought. You know, you pay your twenty-five bucks at the city hall in Raleigh to get your business license. And then they say, okay, as soon as you get your business license, they go, now you need to walk to, I think it was a zoning department. I was like, why? And they said, because they need to tell you where you can and can't sell. So I go on over to the zoning department. It's like the first thing out of their mouths was, no, you're not going to sell. Not on the city streets, not on private property, definitely not downtown. You are not going to be able to use this truck in the city of Raleigh. Even on private property in
0: Raleigh, A complaint can be leveled against a food truck, and the food truck will be forced to leave. No
7: questions asked. The way Raleigh is, uh, food trucks are forced to be in hiding. You you don't want to come out and say, hey, I'm here. I mean, I know that there's a number of other trucks, and um, some of them don't even want me to talk about them for fear that they'd be hunted down. A lot of the trucks that are here end up in Durham or end up in Chapel Hill or Carborough. In Durham or Carborough, trucks have more freedom to set up where they please, and proprietors set their trucks up all over the city. However...
0: For Raleigh-based trucks, they're forced to make the trip to Durham every day just to sell their food. And unfortunately, for trucks like Klausi's, a 1977 Step van doesn't get the best mileage. In fact, a single trip can cost as much as $70 to just get to Durham and back. So, Stanky is
7: leading the charge to have the Raleigh ordinance changed. However, there's been some serious opposition. It's going to hurt existing restaurants, and we're in a recession, and why do you want to hurt restaurants during a recession, that is probably the chief argument that I'm hearing right now about why Raleigh shouldn't allow food trucks on private property or on city streets. Why bring in more food options? And, and my response to it is I want to someday become a restaurant. And in no way do I want to have a law passed or any rules passed that will hurt my restaurant. But it's, it's a completely different type of food. It's a completely different type of experience. I'm food on the go. Unfortunately,
0: we were unable to get quotes from some of the most vocal food truck ordinance opponents for this story. However, Alex Amra, owner of Tobacco Road Sports Cafe on Glenwood South, in a quote to the News and Observer said, Some of these guys have invested a lot of money in getting their businesses open and running. A food truck parked across the street selling the same items. It's not fair to them. If Glenwood South or Downtown goes under, these guys roll away. They set up somewhere else. We are out of our investment. And in an excerpt from an article written by Bo Minick. For WRAL News, Niall Hanley, operator of Solas, Diner, and the Hibernian, is quoted as saying, to invest our dollars, pay our taxes, to be in a prime location, it should be guarded for us by the city of Raleigh. He goes on to ask, do we want a city of food trucks, or do we want a city of locally owned restaurants? However, all of the businesses on Glenwood South did not feel the same way. We were able to speak to Tyler Goodridge, the head chef at Rockford who had a slightly different opinion.
2: I don't feel like there's necessarily any kind of direct threat. If they're on Glenwood and they're out here, we're all kind of competing in some sense at some level or degree. But the type of people that come to the Rockford usually come for the atmosphere. If you're the type of person, like I said, like the clientele that wants to grab something on the go, is more of like a fast food kind of person that would want to go to one of those trucks or the carts whereas you know the the atmosphere here as you can see you know the paintings on the wall the the whole environment and especially when it gets full with the type of people the eclectic people that come here and the you know the, just the great feeling and the music and everything i think that's what really gives the rockford its appeal and uh, you know i think you can't beat that you can't find that from a food truck
0: there will be a hearing later this month to decide the fate of food trucks in raleigh For ryan the triangle i'm Chris chaffee
10: gaming podcast is recorded twice a month here at NC State, covering games and the gaming industry from a unique perspective. I'm Rich Lapore. And I'm Tim McNeil. And the following is a brief snippet from the Joy of Gaming
11: podcast, a rundown of the latest events in the gaming world. First up, the Smithsonian Art Museum has announced an Art of Video Games exhibit to be released on March 16th. You can vote for it right now and pick 80 of your favorite games to be displayed in the Smithsonian. Uh, game selection ranges from tw- the 2600 to the Xbox 360. And pretty much you can get uh, games from any system and any genre. It's pretty cool. It kind
10: of puts to rest the whole argument about
11: games not being
10: art, doesn't it?
11: Yeah, I mean, having (laughs) video games in the Smithsonian adds a lot of credibility to that.
10: Next up, some really exciting news from developer Telltale Games, the makers of Sam & Max Save the World, as well as Tales of Monkey Island, and more recently, Back to the Future, the game. They've just announced that they'll be making video games based upon two fan-favorite comic book properties. The series in question are Fables, a vertigo comic written by Mark Willingham, and The Walking Dead, an image comic by Robert Kirkman, which has also recently been made into a smash hit TV show. Also announced were details about the Jurassic Park game Telltale's developing, which is due out in April. The game is the first for Telltale that will feature action sequences, quick time events, and even character death. Telltale art director Dave Bogan was quoted on one as saying that this game is less about building elaborate Rube Goldberg contraptions and sequences and more about tension and suspense. You know, Tim, these guys are starting to become one of my favorite developers, and
11: these details on Jurassic Park give me hope that Walking Dead and Fables won't just be basic point-and-click games like they've been doing in the past. In some ways, I almost feel like they'd be good point-and-click claims over than other type of games just because, like, the way those narratives and those stories work. But we'll see what they do with it and how it turns out. Are you a big fan of those? Uh, I'm a really big fan of The Walking Dead. and I've read a few fables, and it was really, really good, but yeah. I don't know that much about the series yeah. itself. F-
10: fables is always something I've been meaning to get back to, but just haven't. Yeah.
11: All right. In other news, uh, we've got some interesting numbers on entertainment expenses, expenses for 2010. Um, numbers are in. <laughs> Basically, video game sales have dropped from 2009 to 2010. In 2009, they were 93 of household entertainment expenditures, and now they're only 8.5%, which doesn't seem like that large of a drop, but still it is a drop. Uh, outdoor leisure activities have gone from 20.4% to 25.1%. People is, are
10: getting out into the sun, huh?
11: Yeah, pretty much, actually. <laughs> That's and, fine. And uh, cell phone entertainment has gone from 5.3% to 7.4%. Uh, every other category except for those two went down. Um, it's kind of an interesting an interesting statistic because it seems to imply that a lot of people are getting games for their cell phones because the cell phone numbers include games for cell phones that don't count towards the games. So, well, the iTunes Store has you know really changed things, the App yeah. Store, and so it's interesting to see that you know people are buying the games on their cell phones. That's not counted in that first game statistic, but what's that mean for the future? Is well, that going to be the trend? Maybe that means that that's the difference.
10: Yeah. maybe that money has shifted over there. Yeah, so interesting. Next up, fanboys rejoice. Yesterday was the 25th anniversary of the original Legend of Zelda for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Now we can only hope that the new Wii Motion Plus enabled The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword is announced for later this year. Until then, we always have the remake of Ocarina of Time to look forward to in the launch window of Nintendo 3DS. It's interesting to think that
11: it's been 25 years since that game came out.
10: It's, it really is amazing, and the game did so much to, to really set
11: the set a high water mark for game quality going forward. And what's interesting for me is just one of those games that now, like, there will be people playing games regularly who were born after that game was released. I know that really blows my mind. It yeah. was. It's been so long. It doesn't feel like it's been. Yeah, that long. I know. But I still have so many good memories of playing that game on the Nintendo. I played it a little bit later than after it came out, but still. It's just really a really strange thing. 25 years ago, that was was the case. And it introduced so many tropes, which we currently have
10: in games today. You know, everything from Hearts for Life um, to, I think it was introduced in that, um, to, uh, you know, picking up different swords and weapons. Yeah. Uh, The whole action-adventure genre in general. Pretty um, much owes everything to Zelda there. And exploration. It's really cool.
11: Yeah. And on a lighter note, Billy Mitchell, who is infamous in the movie King Kong Fistful of Quarters, has (laughs) opened up an arcade in the Orlando airport. It has lots of memorabilia from Billy Mitchell himself, um, but it includes many modern day games as opposed to old games. Um, actually, and at the release, Steve Wiebe, who in the movie is sent to be said to be sort of a Billy Mitchell's rival, and they don't like each yeah. other, all helped him release it, and they're actually pretty close friends. I find this hard to believe because well, Billy Mitchell's such an egotistical jerk in that movie. I think if you're people who are dedicated to you know playing King Kong, you got to be close with one another. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's such an obscure <laughs> thing. Know. You got to have at least a little bit of respect for one another. I find, that, I find that hard to believe having
10: seen the movie, but from what you say you've heard, um, it's, it's sort of trumped up, and they're not really as much enemies as they seem to be. Yeah. I see. Um, to find out more about The Joy of Gaming, go to technicianonline.com features, and be sure to email us at rtlepore at ncsu.edu with any questions, comments, or ideas to improve the show.
2: Uh, joined in the studio by Jeff Morrison. Jeff, could you introduce yourself?
5: Sure. I'm Jeff Murison. I'm the Executive Director of the Hillsborough Street Community Service Corporation, which is a new business improvement district uh, here in Raleigh, uh, located across the street from NC State University.
2: And how long have you been with Hillsborough Street?
5: Uh, I, I started in May, so uh, it's been a little over six months. I've moved here from Pennsylvania. and love it here. Wish I'd moved here ten years ago.
2: Hillsborough Street is now recovering from the construction Could you explain how your organization has helped in that recovery and what you're doing now and what you will be doing in the future? Uh,
5: That the businesses on Hillsborough Street and really the whole community had uh, struggled for a long time, uh, maybe as much as decades. Uh, But certainly the last few years have been um, challenging because the uh, city spent a lot of money, $10 million dollars. To renovate the streetscape, the sidewalks, the paving, adding parking, lights, all the fixtures that make a street um, look its best. And because of the economy suffering over the last two years and the construction, it was really a a hard zone to do business in and to be a pedestrian in and neighbor to. Um, But the Business Improvement District was created about the same time to help Shepherd that redevelopment to create a sense of community and to help uh, engage in the in the neighborhood to attract new business and to uh, make it a more viable neighborhood and, and business community
2: And so the big project that you guys first started off with was live it up Hillsboro
5: Sure. that was that was pretty much our big grand opening event
2: And now what do you guys what are you guys doing to bring to attract people to Hillsborough Street?
5: Well, once the construction was completed in August of last year, we wanted to have a big welcoming festival to showcase the street, to reintroduce the neighborhood and the, the community and the businesses to students, faculty, staff, alumni, the neighbors who lived around Hillsborough Street and in the, in the communities around um, uh, the corridor, and really all of Raleigh. And we had a great day. It was in September. It was perfect weather. Tens of thousands of people came out. It was a lot of fun. Um, now we're doing the more day to day work to maintain it as a destination and to build upon that. Um, just in the past few weeks, our cleaning and safety crew has started. Uh, we've just hung banners to brand it as a destination and welcome visitors to the area. And then we're planning other activities, uh, so that we can attract more people to, to our community. And all of that helps the businesses. The, the more foot traffic, the more likely the sales, and um, that all builds. And I think we've got a lot of uh, evidence to show that it's working.
2: Yeah, and so talking about businesses opening up and appealing to customers, two businesses recently closed down right next to campus on Hillsborough Street. But not all the news is bad. Could you explain what the plans for the street are in the future regarding business?
5: sure we're always attracting and we're always attracting new business and uh, working to re- maintain the businesses that we have but businesses come and go um that's a natural part of the evolution of any business and its life cycle uh, uh we have had a couple of businesses close recently and that's you know that's unfortunate they were great parts of our uh, neighborhood uh but we've got some really exciting things coming in. Uh since the grand opening, since the uh, construction started, we've had 5 new businesses open um in the territory and we've got 3 or 4 are coming. And one of those locations, a uh new um uh pizza place is coming. It's called Hotbox Pizza. It's it's sort of a neighborhood bar uh restaurant, pizza joint. Uh we've got a really really cool grassroots oriented, uh, businesses opening up in the, in the near future. It's called roundabout co-op. It's an art co-op formed by, uh, artists in the neighborhood and they're opening a retail shop where they're going to be able to both make their own art and then sell their own art. It's all run by the artists. Uh, it's a great addition to our community. It connects the best and the brightest of the university and that creative element with the uh, purchasing needs of the students, faculty, and staff, and alumni, and the neighbors that live just blocks off of the Hillsborough Street. So we've got some really cool businesses coming, and uh, we've got some more you know, fun, exciting redevelopment coming in the very near future as well.
2: And so if someone's interested in contacting you and uh, learning more about Hillsborough Street, how can they do that?
5: Sure. We have a webpage, hillsboroughstreet.org. Uh, you can also call call our office. Our number is 919-800-0135. I'd be happy to talk to you and help uh, help answer your questions. But, you know, we get calls all the time from folks looking for new places for their businesses to, to locate on the street. We're doing a lot of work on uh, some major redevelopment sites on the street where um, investment going on uh, to build, you know, probably in the neighborhood of over $200, 250000000 million worth of redevelopment within our community. Um, and so we're, we're, we're happy to talk to people.
2: Great. Well, thank you uh, for stopping by. And it was a pleasure talking to you.
5: Yeah, thank you for having me. And we'll, we'll see you out on
7: hostbusters. <laughs>
12: Multivitamins. Who takes them? I know I do once in a while if I feel like I've deprived myself of a particular food group. And odds are, you've taken them as well. In fact, statistical reports indicate that nearly half of Americans take some sort of multivitamin supplement on a regular basis. But do we really need them? If not, who does actually need to supplement their diet? Experts agree that for people in overall good health that consume at least 1,600 calories a day, with a sufficiently balanced diet, don't really need to take a multivitamin supplement. On average, your body is only able to consume 10 to 15% of a multivitamin. The only way your body will use more than the meager 15% of that pill is if your current diet deprives you of something of you need. What does this mean? Has half of all America been throwing their hard-earned money down the drain? Close, what we're actually doing is peeing it down the drain. The 85 to 90% of the vitamins and minerals that your body isn't utilizing comes out in your urine. So who out there do these vitamins have a noticeably positive effect on? The people who need supplementation to their diets are people who are deprived of nutrients on a long-term basis. These people include strict vegetarians and vegans, people who have issues with dairy products, or people that have medical reasons for being unable to eat a certain type of food because of something such as an allergic reaction. Vitamins also benefit older people who suffer from things like macular degeneration or need help maintaining adequate bone strength. Pregnant women can also benefit from various supplements. So from here, I'll explain a little more about the vitamins and minerals that would be found in a supplement and let you decide whether or not you want to continue buying these super pills. If you don't already know, vitamins can be separated into two groups, those that are fat-soluble and those that are water-soluble. There are typically nine water-soluble vitamins in a multivitamin, which, by the way, is why you're supposed to drink water with the pill. It's not just to help you get it down. And there are four fat-soluble vitamins. This also explains why it's recommended that you take a vitamin with or after a meal. Again, not because the food helps get your digestive fluids into motion, but because ideally, you will eat something with fat that makes it possible for your body to process the nutrients that need it. You should also know that multivitamin pills come with loads of various vitamins and minerals, and that's done because certain nutrients are able to complement one another and can enhance their potential benefits. I like that there are products available to help people out there with poor health, but I wish people who are in good health would simply eat better instead of relying on the quick-fix pill to solve their problems. The vitamins that are crammed into your little pill are mostly synthetic because vitamins produced in a lab are much cheaper to produce than their natural counterparts. Plus, you should know that not all vitamins are created equal. For example, if you compare the natural version of a beta carotene, a.k.a. vitamin A, to that of a synthetic version, you will find that the synthetic version is inferior. The natural version has been proven to help eliminate tumors, whereas the synthetic form has had absolutely no effect at all in testing. So what I want you to realize is that multivitamins are essentially a waste of money for the majority of people who use them. The best solution to living healthier is to consume a balanced diet and to eat no less than 1,600 calories a day. For Ryan the Triangle, I'm Kyle Jones. Take
7: me out, baby, I want to go sail tonight I can see the ocean floor in the pale moonlight Oh, let's explore the sheltered banks till the morning
5: I'm here
2: in the studio with Axel Davis, a senior in electrical and computer engineering. Now, Axel is a dancer with the North Carolina State University Dancing Club Dancing with the Wolves. But he has a very interesting story in how he first got involved in dancing. So, Axel, could you please begin with your personal narrative?
4: Absolutely. I started about five years ago. I was a senior in high school. And my mother dared me to take dance lessons at a local studio in Wilmington, North Carolina, When I went in there, we had about a 15-minute warm-up session, and when we finished, my mother wrote a check, and I had never seen her write a check for that much. And so I figured that I should probably take this pretty seriously. Uh, The lessons were a 10-week session, and by the end of the 10 weeks, I was uh, addicted to ballroom dance. I was at a social dance towards the end of that when someone approached me and said, Hey, NC State has this dance program. I understand you're going to be going there in the fall. And so when I got to NC State, I looked it up, and there I was.
2: Wow. So this was completely a dare at Absolutely. first. And now you're here at NC State, and after your time as a student, you have been the president of Dancing with the Wolves, correct?
4: Yes. I was the president for almost two years.
2: And now can you explain your role with the organization and what you are doing right now?
4: Right. Well, it's it's... Oftentimes, fairly difficult to get instructors uh, for to teach from the club, and so a lot of the veteran members will teach. I've been teaching for probably, I think, now five or six semesters, and that's kind of my role right now is I'm one of the instructors. I'm actually the newcomer instructor, which is where someone would go if they've never danced before. Uh, so I teach those lessons on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. in the dance studio at Carmichael Gym.
2: The event Triangle Open is coming up, which Dancing with Wolves uh, sponsors. Can you explain this event and what exactly will be going on?
4: The Triangle Open is a th- one of the largest competitions on the East Coast. It's got probably about a little over 200 competitors, and we're expecting probably about 400 to 500 spectators for the event. Uh, typically, what we would have is we have what about a 40 by 60 dance floor that all of the dancers compete on probably have about 12 uh, couples that dance at a time, and then you have officials on the side, judges on the side that will uh, mark each couple, and then at the end, you get your ribbons and placements.
2: Could we go over which dances the competitors will be doing and how those will be judged?
4: Absolutely. There's four styles in ballroom. Uh, You have what's called the standard, the Latin, smooth, and rhythm, and all four styles will be available at the competition. And the st- and standard and Latin are the ones that primarily are taught at NC State. Uh, the standard includes the waltz, tango, fox shot, quickstep, And the Latin dances include uh, the cha-cha, rumba, samba, and jive.
2: Which of those is your personal preference?
4: I'm more of a standard dancer, so my favorite dance is probably the quick step. And how does that go? Uh, the quick step's a little bit faster than most dances. If you've ever watched Dancing with the Stars... Uh, you might have seen it. It's it's more of a faster-paced dance. It's a 4-4 time dance, so it's a little bit more fast-paced.
2: And Triangle Open will be featuring all these different dances. Could you explain the different levels of uh, dancing competitors and also the professional dancers who will be coming?
4: Absolutely. So uh, we have in what's called Syllabus Division and then Open Division. In syllabus division, this is kind of where you learn all of your figures, the basic figures, and we have different levels, so you don't necessarily have to start right with the best people. Uh, so we have what's called newcomer, bronze, silver, and then gold levels, and that comprises the, the syllabus events. And then after that, we have what's called the open level divisions, which is the novice, pre-champ, and then championship uh, the two show dance couples that will be performing on Saturday night at the Triangle Open, uh, their names are uh, Pasha Pashkov and Daniela Karagach. They're the current U.S. 10 dance champions, which means they do both the standard and the Latin. Uh, they're currently the number one couple in the United States. And then we'll also have professional couples uh, Dima and Erica Cezinas. They're going to be performing some standard dances for us as well.
2: Wow. And so this isn't just a competition, but it's also an entertainment event.
4: Absolutely. If you've ever seen Dancing with the Stars, the show dance performances are as good, if not better, than what you would see on Dancing with the Stars.
2: And if anyone is interested in going to Dorton Arena, just down Hillsborough Street, to watch and observe the dancing, how can they get in touch with Dancing with the Wolves and go spectate Triangle Open?
4: Well, we have a website. It's called www.triangleopen.org. Uh, It has all the spectator information. You can purchase tickets online. We'll also have tickets available at the door if you don't want to pay by debit or credit card.
2: Well, thank you very much for stopping by and uh, break a leg with the competition.
4: Absolutely. Thank you.
2: in the studio and I'm joined by some members of the Herpetology Club. Now, could you introduce yourself and also your
9: friend?
8: I'm Emily Hagler and I'm the president of the Herp Club and...
9: And I'm Dylan Kelly. I'm the vice president and um, our friend here is uh, my snake, Mac. He's a ball python that's about 14 years old.
2: Wow. Now, the Herpetology Club is a club that focuses on
9: snakes, correct? Reptiles and amphibians. A lot of the club members have snakes because they're easier to own than a lot of lizards and amphibians but we try to focus on all of them uh we don't try to just focus on snakes
2: yeah and so what drew you to towards herpetology
8: well personally i've always had an interest in herpetology even before i knew it was herpetology when i was just itty bitty because i can remember the day i found out that i liked snakes was when my dad chopped the head off of a snake and i was like that's not right And ever since, I've been fascinated with all of them, and it's just grown into where I am now.
9: Like Emily, I've always been interested in snakes. Uh, There's a photo of me when I was six years old. My dad uh, was cleaning the gutters, and a six-foot black snake was flushed out. First instinct I had was to just run over and pick it up, and it's been downhill ever since then. Instinct to pick up a snake. I, I don't know what kind of evolutionary mechanism
2: would have provoked that, but could you explain what exactly your club does, how you find people, you know, how, how you raise interest, and how you combat the very common phobia of snakes?
8: Well, I know a lot of our members at one time were afraid of snakes. Some of my good friends that are in club now were. We focus on education and outreach about reptiles and amphibians, and through that we gain a lot of our members. We do... Days in the Brickyard where we're out there all day with a bunch of our animals and people just come up and play with them and learn about our club and learn about the animals we have out. We also go to schools and um, places around Raleigh where we can do things. We have a day coming up at the Museum of Natural Sciences, Reptile and Amphibian Day. It's a big day for the museum and we're one of the biggest hits there usually because we let people touch our animals because... Personally, I believe that through touching an animal, you learn more because you're more invested in that animal once you've done that.
2: That's that's really interesting that you mentioned this sort of interaction with animals. How do the animals respond to that? I, I can imagine it's somewhat unnatural for animals to be intimate in a way with, with humans, but, for example, how is this ball python adapting to human interaction?
9: Well, like I said, I've had Mac for, for 14 years, and... uh I have uh, four other snakes uh, that are fairly young, but uh, we try to socialize all of our animals so that when we do programs like Brickyard Days or go to schools or anything like that, that we can actually hand them to people and let the people hold them. And uh, we don't have to worry about our animals biting. But, you know, like any animal, they can get stressed and they can get scared. So there's always the risk of an animal biting, but we try to prevent that as much as possible. Have you guys experienced any moments
2: when a snake went out and snapped at you or perhaps a snapping turtle, I don't know? What What are some of the injuries involved and the risks involved in being in the herpetology club?
8: I can guarantee that almost every person in herp club has been bit or grabbed on or something by one of the animals in club or an animal in the field because a lot of us... Herb club, We do field research as well where we go out into the field and we look for wild animals and document them. And so I've been bit. I can't count how many times I've been bit by things. Nothing. I think my worst bite came from about a six-foot boa constrictor. And she was hungry and thought I was food and latched onto my hand when I went into the cage.
2: Six feet long. Six feet. Wow. And uh, did she start no. coiling? No. She
8: she immediately realized that I was not food and released because I had pulled back. That was my natural instinct. And she, you know, her teeth got caught a little bit in my skin. But once we got her off, it was fine. But that's probably my worst one.
9: My worst one, uh, one of our members, Kylie, has uh, a Savannah monitor. It's basically related to Komodo dragons. and uh, Yeah, it's, it's almost like one of those Gila monsters, right? Uh wait no no a monitor okay yeah Never mind. a monitor lizard uh, yeah and uh he had had uh, no, sorry to interrupt how long
2: how big is this
9: uh he was small I mean he was probably maybe a foot long uh he latched onto my thumb when I wasn't paying attention and uh, we had to use a butter knife to pry him off he was attached to my thumb for probably ten minutes wow. I know. Did you have to go to the doctor to take any
2: antibacterials for that?
9: Surprisingly not. I got lucky in that he grabbed onto uh, my fingernail, and that took most of the damage. And uh, only a few of his teeth on his lower jaw actually penetrated the skin. Okay. Wow,
2: That that is very interesting. And so, for all the snake lovers, amphibian lovers, and reptile lovers out there, how can they get in touch with you guys and become an active member in your club?
8: Uh, It's very easy. Um, We meet in David Clark Labs Room 101 every other Monday night at 730. And if you have a question, people can look us up online. All our emails are online under the Herpetology Club page for NCSU.
9: We also have a Facebook. Uh, I know that's what a lot of people use now. It's not hard to find us. Just uh, type in Herpetology Club at NCSU and you'll find us. Well,
2: yeah, thank you for stopping by, and uh, it was a pleasure meeting you too, and your snake.
6: Hello, and welcome to This Week in History. I'm Nick. And I'm Dave. This week in 1815, Napoleon Bonaparte escaped from his exile at Elba. He would go on to take back his status as emperor during his Hundred Days campaign.
13: After his defeat at Waterloo, however, he would be sent back into exile at St. Helena, a lot further away from France, until his death.
6: Only four genuine death masks of Napoleon's face were made, and one of them is housed at UNC's University Library.
13: In 1919, the Grand Canyon became the 17th National Park. The canyon is 277 miles long, up to 18 miles wide, and over one mile deep in some spots. In
6: 1929, Grand Teton National Park was established. Over 2.5 million people visit the park each year. It is said that no two Tetons are alike. Isn't that right, Nick?
13: Indeed it is, Dave. In 1836, the Battle of the Alamo began in San Antonio, Texas. This Mexican attempt to take over Texas ended up causing the deaths of all 260 people at the Alamo mission. The United
6: States Steel Corporation was incorporated this week in 1901 by J.P. Morgan and became the first corporation to be worth $1 billion.
13: The company is also the namesake for the Pittsburgh Steelers who recently lost the Super Bowl. In 1920, the Nazi Party, otherwise known as the National Socialist German Workers' Party, was founded. Right. Anyway, in 1953, James D. Watson and Francis
6: Crick discovered DNA's structure, which, of course, is a helical arrangement of two long nucleotide polymers bound to each other by one of the four bases, adenine, cytosine, guanine, and Obviously. In
13: 1945, during the Battle of Iwo Jima, a group of Marines and a Navy corpsman raised the U.S. flag on Mount Suribachi. The event was captured in an iconic photograph now immortalized in the United States Marine Corps War Memorial in Arlington, Virginia.
6: Amazingly, photographer Joe Rosenthal captured the image without using the viewfinder on the camera. In 1954, the first mass polio vaccination took place.
13: Since then, the worldwide incidence of polio has decreased to just over 1,500 cases per year. In 1970, National Public Radio was founded. There are now 797 public radio stations across the United States. In
6: summer 2010, the name was changed to simply NPR since their media is now available in a variety of ways, not just the radio. In 1993, a bomb was detonated beneath the World Trade Center, killing six people and an unborn child and injuring over a thousand.
13: In 1980, the United States Olympic hockey team defeated the Soviet hockey team in what became known as the Miracle on Ice. The teams were very unevenly matched, since the U.S. team consisted of college and amateur players, while the Soviet team was almost entirely professional.
6: And now for some birthdays. In 1685, composer George
13: Friedrich Handel was born. He is most famous for writing Messiah george the boss washington was born in 1732 he was an outstanding military leader our nation's first president and was apparently very good at telling the truth he is known as the father of our country and is credited with leading the american revolution
6: buffalo bill cody was born this week in 1846 he helped popularize the cowboy versus indians theme through his wild west shows Surprisingly, he was an advocate
13: of women's and Indians' rights. In 1889, director Victor Fleming was born. Two of his movies, The Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind, are some of the best-known films ever made. John Steinbeck, an American author,
6: was born in 1902. His most famous works include The Grapes of Wrath and Of Mice and Men.
13: Italian-American race car driver Mario Andretti was born in 1940. He has had an incredibly successful career in Formula One, IndyCar, and NASCAR. In
6: 1943, singer, songwriter, and guitarist George Harrison was born. His career began with the Beatles, and he furthered his success with other groups and a solo career.
13: June Barrymore was born in 1975. She is best known for her roles in E.T. and Batman Forever. Well, that's all the knowledge we've got for you this week. I'm Nick. And I'm Dave.
6: Thanks for listening, and keep it historical, Raleigh.
2: Monday can be a pretty stressful day, so I headed to the library to see what exactly students were doing and why they need a break from life, school, and everything else that's going crazy in their lives. All right, could you introduce yourself and explain why spring break needs to come two weeks earlier?
6: All right, I'm Dion Morrison, and uh, spring break needs to come earlier because all this work that we're doing in school, all these tests, I mean, it's just getting stressful.
2: Yeah, so you got a book with you right now. What are you studying?
6: Bio 183. I got a biology test Wednesday. How's that going? Not good. Not good at all.
2: The spring break need to come on Wednesday?
6: It does. It really does, because I got another test Thursday that I got to study for, too.
2: Oh, I'm sorry, dude. Now, uh, what are your plans for spring break?
6: As of right now, thinking about going down to Myrtle Beach and just hanging out with a bunch
12: of friends, having a good time. Sounds good. Well, thank you. Thanks, man.
11: I'm Nida, and um, I'm here at NC State, majoring in biology, and I want spring break to come two weeks earlier because I don't want to take my psychology and biology test.
2: And have you studied for these, or you don't want to study for them, or are you just anticipating something really bad? What's going on?
11: I just don't want to study.
2: And what are you doing for spring break?
11: Um, Planning on going to Myrtle Beach. But... Well, that sounds fun. Yeah.
12: Better than a test?
11: Yes, definitely it is. That's, why I w- that's another reason I want spring break
12: to be here now. Hey, I'm Stuart. And uh, spring break needs to come two weeks earlier because then I won't have as much work to do. What
2: kind of work are you doing?
12: Um, let's see: a story, two papers, and an economics test. All this, all this week or Monday, actually.
13: Oh yeah, and I
2: them stamp, but that's not work. Okay, and do you actually have spring break plans? Yeah. What are you doing? Beach house. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You going with friends?
13: Thanks. Bye. i um,
12: Jackson, and spring break needs to come two weeks earlier so we can get out of school quicker. And the weather right now, there's no reason for it not to be.
2: Yeah, so why do we need to get out quicker?
12: So we can get a break earlier and not have to go to as much school.
2: Yeah. And uh, do you have any plans?
12: For spring break? Uh, probably going down to the beach. Which one? Uh, looking at Wilmington or Myrtle Beach.
0: Don't know yet. WKNC 88.1. The time is 8.05 in the p.m. And that about wraps up this week's edition of Eye in the Triangle. I want to thank Taylor Barber, Tyler Brennan, Jacob Downey, Tommy Anderson, Selma, Kyle Jones, Lydia Simmons, Dave and Nick for their contributions, the technician for their help and collaboration, assistant director Mark Herring, the... Herpetology department, Margaret May, the Game The Joy of Gaming Podcast, and the NC State Meteorology Department. If you have a comment or concern, email us at publicaffairs at WKNC.org. Call us at 919-628-0869. Or you can find us on Facebook by searching I'm the Triangle. And if you're more of the snail mail type, our address is WKNC 88.1 FM, Attention Public Affairs, Campus Box 8607-343, Witherspoon Student Center, Raleigh, North Carolina, 27695. And feel free to drop us story ideas or anything that you might be thinking about this week. We'd love to hear from you. We don't get nearly enough mail, and I think that there always should be an opportunity for us to get mail. So, if you have a story idea, comment, concern, thought, question, or just, you know, want to talk, we'd love to hear from you. So, check us out there. Or if you want to download our podcast, you can find it at wknc.org slash EOT slash or you can find us on iTunes U. For On the Triangle, I'm Chris Chaffee. And on behalf of Chris Chaffee and Mark Herring, we will see you next week.